Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, August 7th, 2019. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, so we don't have much news to talk about today, but uh, there is some, so let's just jump right into it. Um, HT, tell us about Disney's plans to reboot several popular Fox properties. So Disney chief Robert Iger announced on an earnings call with investors that the studio is developing several reboots and reimaginings of Fox's family-friendly hits, including titles like Home Alone, Night Museum, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and Cheaper by the Dozen. And these reboots would all be debuting on Disney+, Plus, according to a new report from Collider. So these are um, Fox's uh, most recent um family-friendly hits, uh, apart from Cheaper by the Dozen, which is actually a remake in and of itself. 
So, and it seems like Disney Plus is building its titles and original content to be largely reboots in a sense um, and um, recognizable IP. In addition to this, we're also seeing some Disney live action remakes of its animated films like Lady and the Tramp, as well as just the Marvel and Star Wars titles. But uh, that seems to be the uh, strategy that Disney Plus is going forward in the upcoming streaming wars. I mean, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? That that Disney acquired Fox just to sort of push off some of these like remakes of Fox properties onto Disney Plus. Yep, um, they can't just have these. Uh, dis- they can't just have these classics on their um, streaming platform as in the archives. They need to slap the Disney brand on it and put a little twist up. Apparently, um, the Home Alone reimagining, for example, would uh, put a twist on the story and make it about a husband and wife who go to war with a young boy who has stolen something from them. So that's something along the lines of what we'll likely be seeing with these remakes. Interesting. That's not even Home Alone. Yeah, what, <laughs> what a bizarre... That's like, yeah, it's a totally different concept. Yeah, um, they, they could just make you know original movies themselves, but you know you got to have that IP, I guess, because uh, that's Disney's strategy, and they're making a lot of money from it. So, Brad, I was going to throw it to you and say, is there any hope that these projects could be, you know, maybe better than we think and, and maybe not quite as crass as we're making them out to be, but that particular uh, like synopsis or, or description of what they're planning to do with Home Alone <laughs> makes me even more worried than I was, you know, 30 seconds ago. Do you, do you, even with that in mind, do you think that there's any chance that these are going to be like worth seeking out? Or do you think it's just mining these properties for name recognition alone? I mean, there's always a chance, you know, uh, you know when it comes to stuff like this, I, I, I've tried to be a little more, understanding and less judgmental uh when it comes to remakes and reboots you know there's there have been some really good remakes and reboots there have been some really bad remakes and reboots and so there's always a chance that they could figure something out uh disney does have a lot of talented people working for them and a lot of talented people who want to work for them so it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for you know some of these movies to work out i just wish that they would you know invest their time in making things that really haven't been done yet or at least adapting more interesting stories that uh, come from other, you know, media. Uh, I, I see this slate of titles, and I can't help but get frustrated that they s- scrapped the Mouse Guard adaptation, which looked fantastic, uh, all in favor of doing, you know, m- more remakes like this. So that that is frustrating. Um, but yeah, I, I it's it's kind of just a wait and see scenario for me. I I don't know what to expect from the quality of these movies uh, that are going to Disney Plus, but I guess I'll be hoping for the best. Yeah. HT, do we know any other like notable information about any of these particular projects, or is it still too early to you know talk about casting and stuff like that? It's still a little too early. Uh, the Home Alone remake is or reboot is the one that we have the most information on. Apparently, uh, Borat scribe Dan Mazur is uh, being eyed to direct the film, while Melissa McCarthy is uh, reportedly being eyed to star in it as one of the parents. So, but other. Uh, than that, we don't know if that's settled yet, and it, uh, the report notes the studio hasn't actually settled on a direction. Huh. Okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. But speaking of Disney, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Disney and, and its relationship with uh, these new Fox properties. Brad, tell us what, what else we learned from uh, Bob Iger in this recent earnings call. Yeah, so part of the reason Disney is uh, looking at using these Fox properties in this way is because their third quarter earnings 
uh, weren't up to snuff as far as their own analysis and predictions hoped that they would be when it came to reeling in some of the profit from the Fox movies they purchased in their acquisition of 20th Century Fox. Um, the biggest blame for this uh, is being placed on Dark Phoenix, which severely underperformed at the box office this summer. Um, it was a big budget movie. I think it was around $150 million, and it only ended up making around 60 uh, at, in the United States. Um, it was far below what an X-Men movie usually earns, far below what Disney hoped uh, the movie would earn. And some other Fox movies have just been relatively disappointing as well. So for the time being, they are halting pretty much every film that Fox had in development, with the exception of James Cameron's Avatar movies and apparently the Planet of the Apes franchise. And the latter one's kind of interesting because ever since War for the Planet of the Apes came out, we haven't heard about any new Planet of the Apes movies uh, being in the works. So there must have been something that was in development or an idea being tossed around of uh, picking up the franchise where that one ended, perhaps moving even further towards the timeline of the original Planet of the Apes movie, um, maybe even remaking the original Planet of the Apes or having a franchise that actually brought us to that point so that they could remake it with uh, the modern motion capture technology that we have today. Um, but otherwise, Disney is uh, they're kind of uh, keeping it chill um, with the Fox properties, and their, their hope is to, once they get everything kind of back in order and refocused, that to release about 10 Fox movies each year. Um, but some of those, as many as half of those, could be movies that end up going to Disney Plus or Hulu. That's disappointing, because when you said 10 each year, I was like, okay, 10 theatrical movies from Fox, that's not bad. But if half of them end up going to the streaming services, I feel like they're just going to get lost in the sea of content, um, You know, even if they end up being surprisingly good or, or better than we think. But... Uh, man, that is just, I mean, this is this is sort of like, you know, it's, I can't say this is surprising because we saw this coming as soon as all of the talk even began about Disney acquiring Fox. But just to hear that, you know, these, these plans are being put in place, um, it's still, I can't help but feel a little bit depressed about all of this. Um, the, the good news is, uh, is that they're not messing with Fox Searchlight and they will continue to do what they've been doing. Let me ask you guys something. Do you think, so, so 2019 is arguably going to be Disney's uh, biggest year ever. Like I, okay, so already I think they have announced that they've made more money at the box office than uh, I forget what the headline was that I saw recently, but they've already made something like seven or eight billion dollars or something worldwide at the at the box office, and it's August, right? So by the end of the year, when they have Frozen two and they have uh, the Rise of Skywalker and whatever i'm sure i'm forgetting some other big disney property but um we've talked for so long about how 2019 is going to be this massive year for disney once this year is over um and they have done the live action remakes of a lot of the super popular 90s uh disney animated era i know we have mulan coming up and i know we have some other things sort of in the works cruella and stuff like that but do you guys think that there's any way that Disney is going to be able to top themselves and uh, box office wise with what they've done in 2019. Probably not, if only because this year has this kind of perfect storm of remaking two of Disney's biggest uh, hits from the 90s, the culmination of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first era in Avengers Endgame, and the end of the Skywalker saga in The Rise of Skywalker. And I feel like those titles alone 
are really what was will be as boosting Disney's box office this year, and uh, I don't think that we'll see the likes of that combination all at one in one year uh, again. But like HD, do you think that it's short-sighted for Disney to sort of um, essentially relegate these Fox properties to Disney Plus and and only say you know we're gonna we're gonna pick about ten Fox movies we're gonna make per year, especially if like let's pretend there's no way that they're going to be able to capture the box office glory that they've established this year in the future. Doesn't it make more sense for them to sort of dip deeper into the Fox archives and like make more stuff that's recognizable and, and try to expand their <laughs> empire even further. I don't know. It just seems like, I I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree here, but what, what do you think about that? I mean, I for sure think, think it's short-sighted. I do think that, Disney, despite being a box office titan that controls the globe, plays things very safe. And the fact that Fox had a dip in its uh, earnings scared Disney enough that they were going to cut um, a lot of the in-development Fox projects was, was a little bit strange for the way that like, they act strangely for the amount of power and um money and resources that they have right because like if, you, um, if, yeah. if they're worried now about you know oh man we're not looking up to projections or whatever like think about what happens after 2019 when they have this you know peak year this year and everything else from here on out theoretically is going to be slightly less than that like don't mm-hmm. i don't know it just seems like it's like um i don't know alarmist is the wrong word but but um strangely conservative even for disney maybe i don't know yeah, I do think that I'm I'm not really concerned about it though, but because I still think that it's uh Disney is doing fine and that they um the the competition to top themselves is not a big worry. I'm just more concerned about whether other studios will be able to hold any competition or candle to Disney. Um and just the fact that they're pulling back on Fox films just lesser lessens the diversity amongst films that we have in the box office. It's just it's my own my own gripes with the landscape at large. But I do think Disney um, is probably, uh, you know, kind of disseminating its or like reaching out to different mediums. It's, you know, investing more in the streaming platforms and everything. So maybe we won't see all of its uh, successes in one spot, but we'll see it just spread out more across different land, um, different mediums. Yeah. Maybe my issue is more with like the way the conversation is framed, like, mm. you know, they're having a disappointing quarter and it's like, Jesus Christ, you're, you know, this is 2019. <laughs> this is the year where you guys are going to dominate. Like just calm down a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So let's move on to dueling John Henry movies. First of all, do you guys know anything about John Henry? Um, I'll, I'll just say for me, the only uh, exposure I had to this folk hero was from the, I think it was a 1995 movie called Tall Tale, where Patrick Swayze played Pecos Bill and uh, <laughs> like Paul Bunyan and uh, and John Henry and these other folk heroes like teamed up to help this kid save his homestead or something like that. Um, but do you guys have any, uh, any exposure to the John Henry lore at all? I remember, I think, learning, reading, whatever you... Uh about it when I was in like elementary school probably but beyond that my my experience also comes from that same movie you just mentioned (laughs) (laughs) HT did you ever see that movie or do you know anything about John Henry 
I don't. I think I'm a little bit after that movie that you're talking about because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so in, in folklore, John Henry was this like blue collar worker who was super, super strong. He was a, a, a uh, an African-American folk hero who was so strong that he agreed to race a steam powered rock drilling machine in a contest by just basically using like his bare hands or maybe like a hammer or something. And this machine was using steam and all this like new technology. And the, the goal was to basically like smash their way through a mountainside, like to create a tunnel or something. And he ended up winning, but he died because his heart gave, gave out right as the competition ended. So it, I guess it's like a um, sort of a metaphor of, of, uh, you know, down home, like, grit and and determination versus like encroaching technology and stuff like that um so anyway uh there are two john henry movies in the works i think we may have mentioned one starring dwayne johnson uh because we learned about this uh, last october dwayne johnson is going to be starring in a john henry movie called john henry and the statesman which that name sort of has like a like an Avengers kind of name to it, or like it's a very. This is a franchise yeah, title. Yeah, and I don't know if any other characters are going to be involved in that. It's still too far out for us to know. But we know that Jake Kasdan, the guy who directed Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, is going to be directing him in that movie, and it's going to be for Netflix. Um, we don't have a release date on that one yet, but there is like a, a brief teaser for the the film that was already released uh, back in October. So I've embedded that in the article that I wrote about this. And you can find that in the show notes of this episode. And then uh, yesterday, it was announced that Terry Crews, who uh, starred in uh, TV shows like Brooklyn Brooklyn Nine-Nine and uh, movies like Deadpool 2, is also going to be playing John Henry in a theatrical feature film called John Henry. And this one's going to be a modern-day movie set in L.A., where uh, he it's, it's just being referred to as a dramatic thriller. And the premise is that after John Henry abandons a crime-riddled life for a peaceful one in Los Angeles, uh, he crosses paths with two immigrant kids who are running from the leader of his former gang, and he's forced to confront the violence of his past life in hopes of saving them. And Ludacris is co-starring in this movie. Uh, this is a, the writing and directing debut of somebody named Will Forbes, who I've never heard of before. This is the only credit that he has on his IMDb. And uh, Saban Films is looking to put this in theaters in the first quarter of 2020. So it's sort of ironic that this, you know, John Henry, this uh, folk story that's built around the concept of a race, it is now the subject of a, its own race in Hollywood between two uh, competing films. So I, I'm guessing that the the Terry Crews version is going to hit theaters before the Netflix version gets made because John uh, Dwayne Johnson is just so... Um, busy these days. He's got a lot of projects where he's like arguably one of the busiest people in Hollywood. So uh, yeah, we've got a, a straight up uh, deep impact Armageddon situation on our hands again. So I just want to bring that to everybody's attention so you can uh, draw the line in the sand and pick which John Henry movie you're gonna you're gonna see, if any. Um, I think I'm just gonna actually seek out Tall Tale again because I just <laughs> I, I just had to go look uh, look this up to remind myself. And the, Patrick Swayze's in this is Pecos Bill. Oliver Platt is Paul Bunyan. Uh, Nick Stahl is the main character. Stephen Lang is in it. Jared Harris, Catherine O'Hara. Uh, there's an uncredited role roles for William H Macy and Burgess Meredith. This this movie <laughs> I need to go back and watch this movie. I remember watching this as a kid, 
but I haven't seen it since then. I, I need to try and find it to watch it again. Wow, yeah, that movie is called Tall Tale, if anybody wants to seek that out. I I remember watching it a bunch of times as a kid, but I think I was too young to even know who most of those people were. But hearing you list that name, that's like a murderer's row of amazing character actors. So, uh, yeah, maybe Tall Tale is worth another look. I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to hold up to, like, modern scrutiny. But uh, we'll see, maybe. Um, let me know, Brad, if you end up... Uh, seeking that out again Um, yeah we'll do all right so let's move on to our next story and that is uh wesley snipes has joined eddie murphy in coming to america too hd what do we know here yes wesley snipes has joined the cast of coming to america that's coming with word two written out as two the number uh (laughs) in a new role he will be playing a um, new character named general izzy a man who rules the neighboring nation to Zamunda, the fictional wealthy African nation from which Akeem, um, Eddie Murphy's crown prince, hails. Uh, this sequel will follow Akeem as he returns to New York City to find his long-lost son and will supposedly be accompanied by his best friend and personal aide, uh, played by Arsenio Hall, who is the only other original cast member confirmed to re- return. So um, that's all we really know for this film so far. We don't know much about how much of the original cast is set to perform to return, uh, but this will be um, the reunion of uh, Eddie Murphy with Wesley Snipes and Craig Brewer, who the last the trio last collaborated on a documentary called Dolomite Is My Name. So um, that's probably why Snipes was uh, brought on to this this film. And uh, yes, Craig Brewer is the director of Coming to America. <laughs> so Brad, I know you're a big fan of this movie. What do you think about this news? Uh, you know, I am down to see Wesley Snipes do something that is relevant again. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's been away for for a while, um, and I think him doing a comedy is especially fun. I love Wesley Snipes uh, in White Men Can't Jump, and I think him teaming up with Eddie Murphy for the sequel, which I'm very excited about, uh, is is good news. Uh, I love the original Coming to America. If you haven't watched it in a long time, or if you've never seen it. Uh, you should go out of your way to find it and track it down because it's one of those great 1980s comedies that actually still holds up and is still hilarious today. Yeah, that's good to know. H.C., you watched this um, relatively recently too, right? Yeah, I watched it pretty recently. I, did I talk on the water, talk about it on the water cooler? I feel you like might I did. have. Yeah. I, I yeah. Um, but yeah, it surprised me. It holds up really well. Like the comedy is still really sharp. It's so funny. Eddie Murphy is great in it. Um, and yeah, I'm actually uh, quite excited to see Wesley Snipes stretch his comedy chops again because he's been just kind of yeah, just chilling and occasionally showing up to do gritty roles. I get the feeling that this role will be somewhat along the lines of a typical Wesley Snipes character, uh, a stoic general of sorts. But um, it'll be fun to see him um, uh, match wits with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I'm looking at Wesley Snipes' IMDb page right now, and it's sort of a sad state of affairs there. Like, he, <laughs> he popped up in Chirac, which I think was a Spike Lee movie that I never saw, but that was back in 2015. He was in Expendables 3, and yeah, he's just been, like, in a lot of direct-to-video stuff. Even before that, it was, like, probably Blade Trinity in 2004 was, like, the last really big project that he had. So I imagine coming to America is, is going to be a, a pretty big movie when that actually comes out. So... Um, yeah, this could be maybe the beginning of a comeback for Wesley Snipes, so it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens. Um, Okay, let's talk about the Emmys. Uh, There was an announcement that the Emmys this year will not have a host, but instead will offer many surprises. So Charlie Collier, the CEO of Fox, 
uh, announced today during a Television Critics Association panel that uh, Fox, which is the home of the Emmys this year, has decided, uh, along with the Television Academy, that they are not going to have a host. And I guess this is sort of like on the heels of this year's Oscars, which also did not have a host. A host. And uh, this year's Oscars actually saw an increase in viewership over last year's. So maybe Fox is hoping to sort of get a, a similar result um, they've also mentioned that the reason, or one of the reasons, or I guess a, a factor in the decision, is that this year marks um, a sort of special year in terms of uh, a lot of America's favorite TV shows like Game of Thrones and Veep and uh, Empire and The Big Bang Theory have all come to an end. And um, I think the thought here is that by not having a host, they'll be able to sort of uh, pay more tribute and, and pay more attention to those shows and maybe like bring out the cast and do some special things there. So there's a lot of um, sort of rumbling about what these sort of surprise kind of things might be. Uh, Collier mentioned that uh, there will be entertainment, there will be an opening number. If you look at the trade-offs in a show like the Emmys, so often it's a trade-off between the opening acts and using the time elsewhere. There will be many surprises. It will be entertaining. Uh, Variety has a rumor that uh, some of those surprises may actually involve on-stage reunions for cast members of shows like Seinfeld and Friends and ER, which are all celebrating really notable anniversaries this year. I think it's the 30th anniversary of Seinfeld and the 25th anniversary of both Friends and ER. So that could be something that could maybe pull people in. Um, and and I, I wanted to sort of toss this out there to you guys, because I know that, you know, th there are people that like live and breathe these award shows. And I think it's safe to say that the three of us are, are not do not find ourselves, you know, among uh, those people, but still, um, you know, we, we pay attention to the stuff for out of curiosity and, and work stuff. But do you guys have like a personal interest in the Emmys, Brad? I know you watch a lot of TV and, and seem to be uh, more up on this stuff than I am anyway. Um, does, does the idea of not having a host for the Emmys, does that uh, excite you, impact you in any way? What do you think? I actually think I've been kind of terrible about keeping up with TV lately. Um, but as far as the Emmys not having a host, I don't think it matters all that much. As we saw, you know, the, the, we didn't need a host, um, you know, for the Oscars to make it work. If anything, it made things a little bit easier. And since the Emmys is such a crowded award slate already, even more so than the Oscars, since they have to present both comedy and drama, and then there's also the TV movie, and all that stuff, it's uh, it's a lot to to fit into a ceremony that without making it feel overstuffed. So I think getting rid of the host uh, will probably only help in this situation. HC, do you care at all about the Emmys? Is this something that you you know even if you didn't have to cover it for work, let's say, would you be interested in, in tuning in and watching it? And like, what what would you care about? Um, you know, would, would is the host something that you would tune in for, or what, what do you think? No, I don't really care much for the. I mean. The I think Emmys hosts have had a better track record than Oscars hosts, and I've ha enjoyed some of the opening monologues and things we've seen from that. Um, I especially enjoyed Andy Samberg's uh, Emmy hosting gig. That was pretty fun. Um, but I am okay without a host. Um, I I do think that like they've done better with hosting than than the Oscars for sure. But I don't think it will suffer for not having a host. Yeah, I think I I actually enjoyed the Oscars this year without a host. I think it it sort of uh seemed to run a little bit smoothly and and you didn't have to sort of suffer through some of the yeah. monologue stuff that can it go was so really painless go yeah yeah 
Um, so one other thing, one last thing that I wanted to bring up uh, sort of along the same lines of uh, award show discussion is that the BAFTAs, which are the, the British equivalent of the Oscars, have decided to add a casting category to the 2020 Film and TV Awards. So this is the first new category that it's introduced since 1999 when they introduced the Outstanding Debut Honor, which is kind of a cool a category in and of itself that I wish the Oscars would would do because that would be a, a really good way to sort of shine some light on up and coming people that that maybe uh, wouldn't be able to compete elsewhere. Um, but anyway, the casting category that's sort of an interesting thing. I you know I, I feel like in terms of uh, the Academy Awards, the the Oscars, the discussion, the the prominent uh, primary discussion that I've heard over the past I don't know maybe ten years at this point has been about adding a stunt category. Um, that seems to be one that that has a lot of like a groundswell of support and um, like grassroots campaigns and stuff that I've seen and a lot of directors and stunt people have talked a lot about that. I've not heard much rumbling about a casting category, but I'm wondering what you guys think about this, like in terms of uh, if if the Oscars were to follow suit here and add a casting category, is that something that you think uh, a department that you think would be worth, um, I guess, celebrating or acknowledging or whatever over something like stunts. Um, HT, what do you think? Hmm. Um, I do think casting plays a prominent prominent role in how well a TV or movie um, does. I do do think that casting um, relates more to TV than movies. I get the feeling if there was a casting category at the Oscars, we would see a lot of just Marvel movies there. <laughs> um, but I'm not opposed to it. I just think it's something that feels a little bit more Golden Globe-esque than Oscars. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, Brad, what do you think? Is, would you want to see casting over something like that? I mean, uh, first of all, let me just, for listeners who are like, why would you frame it this way? I, I, the, the entire notion of judging art and, and bestowing awards on this stuff is sort of ludicrous on its face to me anyway. So, like, award shows at large, I, I find... Um, kind of arbitrary with the way that they draw the lines on these things. So I'm not personally suggesting that stunts are like, quote unquote, more important than casting. I just, in terms of like the discussion that I've seen recently and like the, the groundswell movement kind of stuff, that's where I'm, I'm getting this from. So I don't like personally have like, uh, you know, any uh, ill will toward casting directors or anything like that. But um, Brad... No, Ben, why do you hate stunt people? <laughs> yeah, either, either uh, casting people or stunt people. But um, Brad, what do you think? Um, no, I actually think that this would be a good category to include in the, the Oscars, if, any, if only just to expand, I guess, the, the knowledge of what goes into making a movie. Um, casting directors are an integral part of making a movie what it is by finding the right people and getting the right people in front of a director in order to figure out who is best for uh, any given part. You know, there, there are a lot of people who are discovered simply because the casting director uh, found them and, you know, put them in the right spot at the, at the right time. And they became huge stars. And there are just as many adults who found a, a full-fledged career in acting simply because they were put in the right part by the right casting director. Um, if you need, if you want to know more about what a casting director does and the the intricacies behind it and, like, I guess really the art behind it, there's this great documentary uh, called Casting By. Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime uh, right now, and uh, it dives into the whole process, what it is. It focuses on casting director Marion Doherty 
and it talks about some of the other famous casting directors who are out there and has a lot of anecdotes about how certain actors were put into roles and just the, that whole process. And it's uh, it's a fascinating insight into that uh, side of the making movies. I have never heard of that. It's really cool. I'm going to add that to my queue. Um, the, for me, the only people I can think of that are like uh, name casting directors, like I guess A-list ones that I know of, even as somebody who like obviously immerses myself in the minutia of Hollywood and its its uh, players, is like Allison Jones, who uh, was did the casting for like Freaks and Geeks and Arrested Development and stuff like that. And then um, Nina Gold, who did the casting for Game of Thrones and she did it for uh, Attack the Block. Um, I'm I'm wondering if that is if the fact that the two casting directors that I know are women means that uh, that position is maybe primarily dominated by women, and if so, if that would be a cool um, I guess a, a separate reason, a, a separate um, I don't know uh, an additional reason to add this to the Oscars because Hollywood movie making is generally dominated by men like all these categories and stuff so if if that is true and casting directors are like you know uh statistically more likely to be women that would just be like a cool way to put more women front and center and sort of like you know kids watch the oscars and and look at that as like an aspirational kind of thing and like seeing more women accept awards up there could uh influence the next generation of of filmmakers and casting directors so that would be kind of a cool thing and i think stunt director or stunt um coordinators and, and stunt performers and all that stuff are uh, prim- primarily men, uh, as, as anybody knows. Um, so, you know, that's just like not necessarily the primary reason why one should be chosen over the other, but like a cool benefit if casting were to actually come to the Oscars. So, uh, yeah, um, never really I thought about that. a question. Yes. Um, does the BAFTA casting category, does that, is that awarded to the casting director or is it something that's more akin to the best ensemble category, for example, that we see at the SAG Awards? Hmm. That is a very good question. Uh, BAFTA's awards exist to recognize excellence across the industry, and we are delighted this year to be including the highly skilled work of casting directors for the first time. Mm. Um, that was That's a quote from BAFTA chair Pippa Harris. Um, so it sounds like they're specifically singling out the casting directors in this case. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, that's good. As she said, uh, we hope this award will also help to promote an outstanding, an understanding of casting and look forward to seeing who will be the first winner in February. So, um, yeah, it it seems like a specific person is going to walk away with the trophy in this one. That's cool. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Um, I I will link, uh, to that casting by documentary in the show notes. I'll also put a link to the, how the Avengers Endgame final battle was made video that I made. and, And I, sort of plug that on the show yesterday, but I'll leave that in there in case you haven't had a chance to watch that yet. Uh, before we go, where can people find more of your work online? HC, let's start with you. You can find me writing every day at slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at htranbui. And Brad? Always at slashfilm.com, also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, uh, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. You can find me writing at slashfilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. 
You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention, sorry to bring this up so late in the podcast, uh, Peter, who, who's gone at a magic convention until I think tomorrow is when he comes back, he forwarded me an email from Schwinn from Grand Rapids who said, I just have to ask if somebody had a loudly meowing cat in the background while they were recording the water cooler episode, because I swear I was hearing meows. Love the show. Thanks. And I think I heard that as well. I could not get, I could not edit that out because it was like during somebody saying a word. So I couldn't, I couldn't minimize the the meowing. So I apologize for leaving that in the episode. Uh, that is there. Yes. And I also no- wanted to note too, that I think Peter's ex- um, experimenting with having ads on the show. So if you've downloaded the show over the past couple days and you've experienced getting ads somewhere, uh, he's messing around with with some uh, experiments in that regard. So don't be alarmed if you hear ads. That's what's going on. Uh, I'm sure when he gets back, he can speak more fully to that once his experimentation is complete. But um, we'll figure out what's going on there. But uh, yes, in any case... Please don't uh, forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word about the show. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.